0: This morning I'd like to reveal what some of us what I and some others believe is the lead gift for Grace Beyond. In the past we haven't revealed what any one individual or family has given, but this morning I'd like to share with you what I believe may be the most the most important gift to Grace Beyond. As most of you know, Grace Beyond is the project that has led to the remodeling and the addition here in our building. And more importantly, it's what God has been using to transform us into a more obedient, merciful, and hospitable church. Well, today, right now, we are almost done with Grace Beyond. We are close to being finished. We're not completely done, but we're close to being done. But when Grace Beyond was first beginning or near the beginning of Grace Beyond, we had not what we called an education phase. It was the time where many of us from the building committee went out and gave educational presentations to different groups within Calvary Church. We were sharing kind of the vision of the project, the scope of the project, what it was going to accomplish, and the costs of the project. Many of you sat in those educational meetings. Well, on one Sunday morning, Denny Bergaker, who was the chair of the Grace Beyond Building Committee, went to give a presentation to the 5th and 6th graders. And he gave a presentation, he gave this educational presentation to the 5th and 6th graders here at Calvary Church. And after the presentation and after a series of really insightful questions, there were two young girls that came up to Denny and asked if they could give to the project. Now, Denny didn't ask for any money, There was no ask at this point. It was just an informational meeting. But these two young girls came up to Denny and said, could we give to the project? Then they gave two quarters to Grace Beyond. I think, many others think, that that was the lead gift for Grace Beyond. Now, in most fundraising endeavors... You go and you seek a lead gift, and that lead gift is typically a large amount of money that is meant to motivate, to kick off a a fundraising project, and to motivate other people to give. But in our project, in Grace Beyond, the lead gift was two quarters. And I believe that may be the most important gift given to Grace Beyond. But how can that be? How can it be that two quarters, that 50 cents can be the most important gift in all of grace beyond? Well, this morning, Jesus is going to tell us how that can be. So if you would take your Bibles and open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 12, Mark chapter 12, In the Bible that's in the rack in front of you, it's found on page 825, Mark chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 38 through 44 this morning. For the past several weeks, we've been focused on the last week of Jesus' life. Jesus and his disciples, they're in Jerusalem, and he is only days away from his death on the cross, if you'll remember, at the beginning of this week, Jesus and his disciples, but primarily Jesus, rides into Jerusalem on a donkey to the cheers of hundreds, maybe thousands of people cheering his arrival. Jesus then goes to the temple, and he upsets the temple practices. He turns over tables. He throws people out of the temple. He stops the sacrifices. And, and, and those actions, they greatly upset the leadership of Israel. And so the leadership of Israel set out to oppose, they set out to destroy Jesus. First, the first round is the, the elders, the teachers of the law, they come, the priests, they come and they ask Jesus, who gave you the authority to upset the temple practices? Second, the Pharisees and the Herodians, two politically opposite groups, ask Jesus whether they should pay taxes. Third, the Sadducees come and challenge Jesus. They ask him about marriage in heaven and the resurrection. And in each one of the cases, Jesus shuts them down. He shuts them down with incredibly wise responses that silence them and cause everyone else to be amazed at what Jesus has said. Then last week, Marvin shared with us, Marvin shared with us that there was one of the teachers of the law that came to Jesus and asked him, hey, what is the greatest commandment? What is the most important commandment? Remember, we learned that there's 613 of them, but there has to be one that's the most important, so which one? Jesus responds to the teacher of the law, and he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. This morning, the passage we're going to look at, Jesus helps us understand what it looks like to love the Lord your God. He gives us an example of what it looks like to love the Lord your God. And in this text, we're also going to see how two quarters may be the most important gift to Grace Beyond. Now, to help us understand to help us understand and see what it looks like to love the Lord your God, Jesus is gonna show us, he's gonna give us a comparison. He's gonna give us a contrast. And he's gonna contrast the teachers of the law with a widow. He's going to contrast the teachers of the law with a widow. And it is is a very big difference. There is an extreme contrast between these two. So let's first, let's look at what Jesus says about the teachers of the law. Look at verse 38. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. Here, Jesus is teaching. He's in the temple courts. And there are people gathered around who are listening to his teaching. And notice how he starts out. He starts out with a warning. He says to them, watch out. Watch out for those teachers of the law. In some translations, it uses, I think, stronger terminology. He says, beware. Beware of the teachers of the law. He's giving them an explicit warning about this group, this, these teachers of the law. And what's interesting is he's in the temple giving this. Where do you think the teachers of the law hang out? They hang out in the temple. It's likely that many of the teachers of the law hear what Jesus is saying about them. Well, let's look at his description of these men. He criticizes four examples of their behavior. He judges and exposes their sinful hearts. First, look what it says. They like to walk around in long flowing robes. You see, teachers of the law were easily recognized because they wore long white robes, long white robes that hung down all the way past their ankles. Normal people did not walk around in long white flowing robes. The robes also had, a, had tassels, had kind of fringe that was hanging around the bottom of them. And the fringe made it look like they were kind of gliding. They weren't really walking. They're just kind of gliding across the ground. Second, they like to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. Now, when they're walking in their long robes, it was expected that people would would stand in their presence and initiate, initiate a greeting of respect. They would say things like, father, master, rabbi. And remember what Jesus says about this. They liked it. Third, they liked having the most important seats in the synagogue, the most important seats in the synagogue were at a bench in the front of the synagogue, and they would sit at the bench in the front of the synagogue, facing the congregation, in a place where all of the congregation could see them. Fourth, it says that they liked the places of honor at a banquet. In the first century, banquets were rituals of social status. the the best seats and the best food went to the most important guests. And in the first century, the teachers of the law were the A-list celebrities. And they were given these places of honor at the banquets next to the host and received the best food and the most recognition. But don't lose Jesus's focus here. Jesus makes the point to say they liked all of this. They liked all of this that was happening. What Jesus is doing here is he is revealing what is going on in their hearts. He is revealing their pride. He's criticizing them using these four examples of their pride, their self-focus. To these teachers of the law, it is all about themselves. They are focused on themselves, so the question is, who do they love? Help me here. Themselves. themselves. They love themselves. But if these four examples of their pride aren't enough, look at what Jesus continues in verse 40. They devour widows' houses. They devour widows' houses. This means that they use their position and their power to take advantage of other people, especially weak and needy people. They're so focused upon themselves. They're so in love with themselves that they're even willing to steal from widows. And on top of that, they're the ones that stand up and pray loud, lengthy, long prayers so that people will recognize them and see them. Everything they did was geared towards satisfying their pride and making themselves look good in front of other people. They were literally totally in love with themselves. And as a result, there is no room for God in their hearts. So that raises the question for us. Do you love yourself? Do you love yourself in this way? I've said it before. As we go through these stories, these are not just history lessons. These are not just neat stories about the neat things Jesus does and demonstrating how quick-witted he is. These stories are for us They are meant for us to read and apply to ourselves so that we can learn, so that we can grow, so that Jesus can mold us and shape us, transform us and change us. So do you love yourself? Do you walk around in long, white flowing robes? I know you don't. Nobody's wearing long, white flowing robes here this morning. But you know what I'm saying? Do you like the seats of honor? Do you like the places where you are recognized, where people are looking at you? Are you taking advantage of other people? Now, maybe those aren't examples that apply directly to you, but you know what I'm talking about. Is your life all about you? Do you love yourself? Now, you may not think so. You may not think to yourself, man, I'm like those teachers of the law. But Jesus gives us a contrast and in a way he's asking us, are you like this next person? There's a stunning difference in this contrast. But he has to set up the contrast first. So look at verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury many rich people threw in large amounts. Jesus had now has now moved to a different spot in the temple areas. He's moved to the court of women. This is where the treasury was located and where people would come and bring their offerings and deposit their coins in multiple receptacles that were located in this area of the treasury. The, the, the historian Josephus tells us That some people actually hired trumpeters to announce their coming offerings. They would want people to know they were coming, so they would hire a person who played a trumpet to announce the fact that they were going to put money in the offering plate. Here I come. I'm going to deposit my coins. Look at me, and look at all the money that I'm going to give. And they do this while everyone is watching. Jesus says then that rich people threw in large amounts. This is the teachers of the law. They were these rich people and they wanted everyone to see them. But they not only loved themselves, they loved money. But think about it. Loving money is just another form of loving yourself because of all the things that money can do for you. Not only can money help you draw attention to yourself, but money gives you the opportunity to person to purchase all the personal benefits that you want to per- purchase. So typically, somebody who loves themselves loves money as well. Likewise, somebody who loves money typically loves themselves. The teachers of the law also viewed wealth as an evidence of God's blessing. They believed that if they were wealthy, God was blessing them. God in their minds would be impressed by their their wealth and would be especially impressed by their large contributions. But Jesus had a much different view. So he gives us a comparison. He contrasts the proud, self-focused, money-loving, self-loving teachers of the law with a widow. Look at verse 42. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Today, life can be difficult for a widow. But in the first century, life was extremely difficult for widows. Widows in the first century were typically extremely poor, relying upon the the, the goodness and the graciousness and the generosity of others to survive. There were no pensions, there was no government support. Widows were on their own, relying upon others to provide for their needs. Mark makes it a point here to tell us that this is a poor widow. She probably works from dawn until dusk, trying to eke out an existence, trying to find just enough food to survive. This widow was extremely poor and she only put in two very small copper coins. Now scholars debate how much these two very small copper coins were actually worth, how much they were actually worth, But all scholars agree that it was only a fraction of an average day's pay. It is only a sliver of what an average person would make on an average day. Then look what happens. Verses 43 and 44. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. What? What is he, what's going on here? She only put in a few cents. She only put in a fraction of an average day's pay. Monetarily, this was a completely insignificant amount of money. It's almost nothing. But to Jesus, it was everything. More, look what it says, more than all the others. In contrast to the proud, self-loving teachers of the law, Jesus commends the action of this poor widow. He recognizes her sacrifice. He recognizes that she, in her poverty, look what it says, put in everything, all she had to live on. In other words, when she left the temple that day, she had no more money. Not just a little money, She had no more money. She put in everything she had. She demonstrates great sacrifice. While the teachers of the law devoured widows' houses, it's a gift of one such widow that is the focus of Jesus' praise and instruction. An insignificant amount of money greatly pleased Jesus. The rich people, they gave to be acknowledged. They gave to be seen. And they were seen and they were rewarded by the applause of men. When the widow comes in, there is no trumpet blast. There is no applause. There are no oohs and ahs. But Jesus, Jesus sees her. He praises her. And he sets her in contrast to the proud, self-loving teachers of the law. But the contrast isn't complete until we understand why. Why did this widow give all that she had? Why did she sacrifice so much? Why did she do it? It's actually a really simple answer. She sacrificed everything because she loved God. She loved God so much that she sacrificed everything that she had for him. Think about this, she could have kept one of those coins. She could have kept one of those coins and it would have still been a 50% gift. That's a huge percentage gift, but she doesn't. She doesn't keep just one of the coins. She gives both of the coins. She gives all that she has. She sacrifices everything because she loves Jesus. She loves Jesus. And her sacrifice proves her love. That's the fundamental difference between the teachers of the law and the widow. You see, the teachers of the law their hearts, their hearts are set on themselves. The widow, her heart, her heart is set on God. She gives everything she has to demonstrate her love for God. She doesn't hold back, she sacrifices everything. who do you love? Who do I love? Who do we give to? You know, Jesus has taught this before. He's taught where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where are our hearts set? Are our hearts set on ourselves? Or is our heart set on God? God? How much do you love God? How much do I love God? How much do we love God? You know, we can say we love God. It's kind of easy to say we love God. But love is always demonstrated through sacrifice. Always. I can tell my wife I love her all day long. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for me to tell my wife that I love her. But until I actually sacrifice something for her, that's when she knows. That's when she knows that I truly love her when I demonstrate that love by sacrifice. This is why I think that the two quarter gift from these two young girls is the lead gift for Grace Beyond. Because these girls were presented with a presentation and they saw the need and they saw God and they gave. Now I'm not exactly sure how sacrificial the actual gift was, but there was at least some level of sacrifice in the gift. Because when they saw the need, they gave what they had. And it's interesting, isn't it, that it was two quarters? And we're talking about two very small copper coins? And that was three years ago. You see, these girls, they gave because they loved God. They were just like the widow. And when we talk about Grace Beyond... I recognize that there are many of you that understand exactly what I'm saying. Your hearts are set upon God. You love God and you have given to God. The grace beyond need presented itself. You were presented with the need and you saw God in it and you responded in sacrifice and you are responding in sacrifice and you are giving to God. You're just like the widow. And that is good. but there are some of you and I don't know who you are but you do and God does and you made a pledge you pledged to God you didn't pledge to Calvary Church you didn't pledge to Jim you didn't pledge to me you pledged to God in you're not keeping that pledge. That's not a good thing. And some of you didn't even pray and ask God what you should give, if anything, what you should give to Grace Beyond. That's not a good thing. And I hope you hear in my voice how I'm trying to share this with you. I am trying to share this as a pastor Because if I did not tell this to you, look what happens in verse 40. What does Jesus say to the teachers about the teachers of the law in verse 40? He says they are gonna be punished most severely. You see, what Jesus is doing in setting up this contrast between the teachers of the law and the widow is he is asking us, which one are you? Are you like the teachers of the law or are you like the widow? How much should we sacrifice? How much should we give? Not just to grace, but how much? What is it that we should be sacrificing? Notice here that Jesus is talking about money. He's not talking about time or talent. He's talking about money. And I know this is a touchy subject. I don't like talking about money. You may not like hearing about me talking about money. But it is interesting. In the last week of Jesus's life, Jesus found it important enough to talk about money. He spent his time observing teachers of the law and observing widow and talking about their giving. How much is it that we're supposed to give? Now I know some of you are sitting there and you're thinking, well, my giving is between me and the Lord. And that is true. I completely agree with that. But I think, Most people don't think about or they don't realize when they say that that Jesus is actually watching you. He was watching the teachers of the law and he was watching the widow. And he's watching you and he's watching me and he's wondering how much we love him. You know what I do? You wanna know what I do? I keep trying to find a reasonable Jesus. Yep. I keep trying to find reasonable expectations. I want a reasonable Jesus. But you know what? Jesus isn't reasonable, Jesus is completely unreasonable the things he teaches. Think about what he says. hey, if somebody hits you on one side of your head, turn the other side so he can hit you there as well. Oh and love your enemies and if somebody wants your jacket, give him your coat as well. If your mom and your dad don't like the way you're following Jesus, Jesus says, I don't really care. you got to follow me. Hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry if you're sick. Don't worry if you lose your job. Just seek his kingdom and everything's going to work out fine. That's unreasonable stuff. And here in this story, here in this story, he watched this widow give away everything she had. You know what reasonable Jesus would have done? Reasonable Jesus, he's only a few feet from her. Reasonable Jesus would have stepped up and said, hey, whoa, you know what? I know you don't have a whole lot. Don't give all of that. Or at least, hey, just give one out of the two coins. Keep one of them for yourself. But Jesus doesn't do that because he's unreasonable. Jesus lets her demonstrate her love for God by giving everything she has. She sacrifices everything because she loves God. Jesus is not reasonable. But you know what? Jesus himself in his own actions is also not reasonable. The Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. Do you understand what that means? While we were God's enemies, while we hated God, while we were Jesus's enemies, he went to the cross and he died for us. He died for you and he died for me. That is not reasonable. Don't lose the context of this story. This is the last week of Jesus' life. In just a few days, he is going to go to the cross and die. He is going to sacrifice himself. He is going to shed his blood on the cross for his enemies. And guess who that is? That is you and that is me. That is not reasonable. Jesus is not reasonable because love is not reasonable reasonable. Did you hear me? Jesus is not reasonable because love is not reasonable. So how do we respond? What is it that you and I should be doing? How should we be responding to this comparison between the teachers of the law and the widow in unreasonable Jesus? I think Paul John Bunyan helps us John Bunyan lived in the 1600s and he wrote the classic Pilgrim's Progress. And in his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, you hear Bunyan's response. And its response shows us his heart and it's the heart of the widow as well. And I hope it reflects our hearts also. Listen to this. Now, this is tough language. It's 1600s language, so follow closely. Yet I saw my sin, most barbarous and a filthy crime, and could not but conclude in that with great shame and astonishment that I had horribly abused the holy son of God. Wherefore, I felt my soul greatly to love and pity him and my affections to yearn towards him. For I saw he was still my friend and did reward me good for evil. Yea, the love and affection that then did burn within to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ did work at this time such a strong and hot desire of revengement upon my. Myself for the abuses I had done unto him, that to speak as then I thought, had I had a thousand gallons of blood within my veins, I could freely then have spilt it all at the command and feet of this my Lord and Savior. Do you hear what he's saying? Do you sense his heart? It is the same heart as the widow. Bunyan recognizes that he was an enemy of God and that Jesus, in his love, comes down to die on a cross to sacrifice himself while Bunyan was still a sinner. He's still. Expresses Jesus still expresses kindness and favor and rewards good for evil. And Bunyan's response, here is the key. Bunyan's response, he senses this. He understands what Jesus has done for him. So he says, if I had but a thousand gallons of blood in my veins, I would shed it all for Jesus. Bunyan's heart was set on God. Bunyan's heart was set on Jesus and his love overflows in sacrifice, any sacrifice. Just like the widow's heart. It overflows with love for her savior. And that sacrifice is demonstrated when she gives everything she has to God. the teachers of the law, the widow. Who are you like? I'd like to close with a story about Helen Rosevere. Helen Rosevere was born in 1925 in Great Britain. She was raised in a, in a wonderful English family At a young age, she was a very determined, diligent, and disciplined young woman. She had great focus and great purpose for her life. When she thought about her life and when she thought about different endeavors and setting priorities, she always asked the question. She ordered her life by asking the question, is it worth it? If she, was going to, if she was thinking about taking a class, she would ask the question, is it worth it? If she was going to go on a date, she would ask the question, is it worth it? And when you think about it, either consciously or subconsciously, that's kind of how many of us order our lives. We ask ourselves, well, is it worth it? Well, as Helen grew, she decided that she wanted to become a doctor in a time when there were not many women doctors. But she was disciplined and she was focused and diligent and she pursues her studies at Cambridge to become a doctor. But while she's at Cambridge, Jesus introduces himself to her and she receives Jesus as her Lord and Savior. She becomes a Christian. She becomes a follower of Jesus. And so she decides at that point in time that she's meant to serve him. So after she graduates from Cambridge, after she does her medical studies, she moves to what is what was then referred to as the Belgian Congo and, and sets up a hospital. She becomes a missionary and sets up a missionary hospital in the Belgian Congo, serving the Simba people there. And while she's there, while she's spending her time serving God at this hospital, She writes, she begins to write a journal. She begins to record everything that's happening in her life. She begins to record everything that God's done throughout her journey. And she memorializes all of this in a record, in a journal of all that's happened, which she intends to be the great testament of her life. Well, in 1964, revolution came to the Belgian Congo. And the revolution spread throughout the land and and eventually the revolutionary forces came to her hospital. And the revolutionary forces beat her and her assistants viciously. They knocked out her teeth. Then they took her away and they raped her. And after they raped her, they tied her to a tree And began making fun of her. And began threatening her that they were going to kill her. And then one of the rebels brought out her journal. Her life's work. The only copy of her life's work. And burned it in front of her. While she was sitting there, tied to a tree fearing for her very life, having experienced something so terrible, watching her journal being burned, she began to ask herself the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? In telling the story, she says, almost immediately upon asking the question, in utter clarity, Jesus responded to her and said, Helen, my daughter Helen, all your life you've been asking the wrong question. The question is not, is it worth it? The question is, Am I worth it? Am I your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on a cross for you, worth all of this sacrifice? Helen says that through tears, she responded, yes, yes, you are worth it. I think that all too often we, that means you and that means me, we ask the wrong question. We ask, is it worth it? That's not the question. The question is, is Jesus worth it? He loved you first. He loved me first. And he gave everything. The question really is, is how much do you love him? How much do I love him? Because he's watching and he wants to know.